athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. You're locked into the Dopey Show on radio, box to row. I am your host, Donald Ware. It is a Easter weekend on the program. Thank you for making box to row. A part of your day. Got a big show for you. Final Four weekend, as a matter of fact. And we've got the matchups. Baylor and Houston going to get together. Also, UCLA and Gonzaga. So I had Baylor and Gonzaga as two of my Final Four teams. I did not have Houston and I did not have UCLA. UCLA coming out as a number 11 seed. But the Pac-10 was really, really, or Pac-12, excuse me, really, really good in basketball uh, this year. Very much underrated. I mean, like, I'm not even sure UCLA should have been an 11 seed. Like, I think, I mean, I think really the 11 seeds and above should go to smaller and uh, to smaller programs, uh, quite frankly, uh, opposed to going to major programs like we saw Georgetown as a number 12, I mean, you had to see Georgetown, uh, you know, as a number 12 uh, because Georgetown got the automatic bid, even though it's a, you know, it's a power, you know, power five is for football. The term power five is football. But even though it's a big time college program, because the Big East, one of the preeminent conferences in all of America when it comes to college basketball, always has been. It always has been. Uh, But, you know, a UCLA Probably should not have been a number 11 seed. I mean, I get it because they're on, they're tinkering on the brink of not even making the tournament. When you get some of these bigger schools that don't win their conference tournament championships, you know, you know, give somebody else an opportunity. I mean, that's how I sort of look at them. I and I know the masses aren't going to look at it that way. Those that attended big schools and are all about, you know, college athletics and the big timeness of it. I mean, I'm, I'm about the big timeness of it too in a respect but I just think that you can reward some teams that deserve to be in the big dance that are smaller teams we always see these leagues that are one bid leagues I mean you look at like the SWAC for instance you look at the MEAC for instance you look at the Big South for instance even though you got you have a team like a you know a Winthrop that's sort of on the rise at the end of the of the day it's Big South is still a one Bid league. You look at the even the conference U N U U N C G. Excuse me, U N C G is in right. U N C G's got a it's got a pretty good program, right? Uh, you know, gave Florida State a run for its money and is building a, a, a good program. But anyway, I mean, it is what it is. You know, U C L A is playing some really good basketball. Like I don't see them knocking off Gonzaga. Like I see Gonzaga running the table and winning the national championship. I do, however. 
think that if this game is close, that UCLA, I mean, really, if you think about it, UCLA has nothing to lose. UCLA has absolutely nothing to lose. Nobody thought the Bruins were even going to be here, right? Uh, number 11C playing in a play-in game, which could have gone either way. And to get all the way to this point, UCLA has nothing to lose. And that's actually what makes UCLA dangerous in this game. But I just feel like Gonzaga is just talent beyond belief. I mean, I feel like the only team in the country that can either even really play with Gonzaga is Baylor, right? And of course, Baylor's got its own issue tr- having to try to get past Kelvin Sampson in Houston, who's really, really good. So, you know, I, I like Gonzaga in this game, but if this game is close, uh, I, I, you know, you, you know you, you're talking about 18 to 22-year-old kids. It gets tight, tightening up the way you've played all season, fast, loose, sharing the basketball, team concept. Gonzaga is, is just getting it done. Maybe that changes when things tighten up a little bit. But this is a, you know, a little bit of an older team. You got some young guys on the team like Suggs, but it's a little bit of an older team. Mark Few is an excellent coach, has done a remarkable job, quite frankly, at Gonzaga, which was at one time a mid-major program, now a top program in all of college basketball. So I think that Gonzaga ultimately wins the Baylor-Houston game. I mean, I'm going with Houston, but... Uh, uh, excuse me, I'm going with Baylor. But again, I, I don't think Houston has anything to lose or not much, I shouldn't say, but not much to lose. They're very close. And when you get close, you want to get, you know, you want to get over that hump. I mean, Gonzaga's been here a couple of times, but I feel like the window for Gonzaga may be running out. You go back a couple of years ago, losing the national championship game to North Carolina. You get to this point, particularly in the circumstances that we're in, uh, you've had COVID, you've had COVID issues. I mean, I guess for the most part, it hasn't affected uh, the tournament per se. A, a couple of teams, yeah. But I mean, as a whole, it hasn't greatly affected the tournament. Um, but the year has just been crazy. And if you're Gonzaga, this may be the year. You get back to, you know, the Dukes and the Carolinas being good and the Kentuckys. It's a whole different ball game. I think this is Gonzaga's tournament to win. They have the most talented team, um, and I think ultimately this is the year that Gonzaga gets it done. So we may talk a little bit more college basketball here in the program. I want to touch on Roy Williams uh, quickly. Roy Williams on Thursday announced his retirement as the head men's basketball coach at UNC. Of course, we had him on the program, I guess, may have been either August or September uh, of last year. And I mean, he won three national titles uh, as the head coach at North Carolina. He came back home. He was uh, an assistant coach. He was a student, obviously, at Carolina, an assistant coach under Dean Smith, got the job at Kansas. And to me, for as much as he did at Carolina and for Carolina, again, three national championships is huge. There's no question about it. I think Roy Williams was as big as, at Kansas. Did he win the national title? No, he came close. As a matter of fact, Kansas was the runner-up the year before he came to Carolina. And so I think his impact, yeah, obviously you win national championships, that's huge. But I think he had a, you know, as to, for me, in, in remembering as much an impact, 
right? He won, you know, his winning percentage was way better at Kansas than it was at Carolina. He won the three national championships. And, of course, you want to win championships. But, you know, in college, like, that's not what it's all about. It's not all about winning championships. I know the alumni a lot of times. I mean, well, it depends on the school, actually. And, you know, Kansas, I mean, Kansas is a blue blood. But you look at Bill Self. I mean, Bill Self came right came in right after Roy Williams and ultimately it took him maybe about five years Kansas won the national championship in 2008 under Bill Self has not been to the championship since has not won or been to the championship since a couple of elite eights uh, a, a final four I believe but not a national championship and Bill Self has a tremendous record, a tremendous record on par in terms of winning percentage, very much on par with what Roy Williams did. Listen, I I can just remember a lot of criticism of Roy Williams at Kansas, just a lot of criticism because it it would always be that thing. And again, you can look at that last year at Kansas, runner up in the national championship. You can kind of look at that and um, all the talk is, Uh, about, well, Roy Williams can't, you know, he can't win the championship, even though he did a phenomenal job. He comes to Carolina within a couple of years, Carolina wins the national championship. And oh, by the way, wins two more national championships as well. So the man, I mean, if, if, you know, I don't know all of like the, the, I mean, you know, some of the greatest coach, you know, uh, uh, John Wooden and, you know, some of the great coaches that have ever coached college basketball I mean in in the current time you know coach K um, the list goes on and on right but I mean Roy Williams got to be one of the top 10 best college coaches of all time no I mean I mean you know you you know Woody was able to do it Kansas and then three national titles it's hard to win a national championship and I think he doesn't get as much credit at Kansas or the type of credit that he deserves for what he was able to accomplish at Kansas. The only thing he didn't win was win a national championship. Roy Williams came on the program. Of course, we're here in Raleigh, right? So we're here in Raleigh. I mean, perhaps the, the, the best trio of basketball programs anywhere in the country are within a, about a, because you look at Carolina and Duke, they're relatively close. Seems like maybe less than 10 miles. And then, you know, the NC State's in Raleigh. Uh, and that's, I don't know, maybe 20 miles, 25 miles. So you're looking at like a 30, 35-mile radius. Three of the best programs. And I realize NC State is struggling uh, a little bit. But in all of college basketball, when you encompass all three. So we understand it. It hits heavy here in the triangle. Roy Williams, when he came on the program and talked about his time at Kansas. Again, you look at the winning percentage at Kansas. Won 81% of his games at Kansas. 418 and 101. You look at the record at Carolina. Won 75% of his game. That's a vast difference. 485 and 163, the final record at UNC. But a career record. Of 903 and 264, which is a, a in excess of a 77% winning per, uh, percentage. 
three national championships. And by the way, you look at what he was able to do as the coach at Carolina. So that 15-16 season, uh, the Tar Heels finish as runners-up. The next year, come back and win the national championship. That, my friends, is extremely difficult to do. So uh, Roy Williams retiring says he's not the right man for the job, and we salute Roy Williams. We got a great show for you today. I mean, we got a lot of guests here on the program. As a matter of fact, still to come, Southern head football coach Dawson Odoms, North Carolina A&T, director of track and field programs, Dwayne Ross. But up next, we're going to be joined by a gentleman who should perhaps be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, played his collegiate ball at Morgan State, University, Raymond Chester joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. On the way, it's more of From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware. Right, 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 right here, right here on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way, Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whip Beer, the neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. For more information, log on to their website at harlembeernc.com. Now, back to From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. Donald Ware. Donald Ware. Donald Ware. We're back here on From the Press Box to Press Row. And on the line, I was reading an article in Sports Illustrated the other day, and it was on a gentleman of the great tight ends, one of the great football players to ever play. Not in the Hall of Fame he, of course, went to Morgan State, won a Super Bowl with the Oakland Raiders, also played for the Colts. He was a four-time pro bowler, was also an all-pro all pro player, played 13 seasons in the National Football League. And fortunate enough, we are joined by Raymond Chester here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Mr. Chester, uh, it's a pleasure. Welcome to the program. Hey, Donald. Thanks. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Got to make one correction. I played 12 years in the NFL and one year in the USFL. So not 13, 12. Okay, 12, but, 12 but years you know in the uh-huh. But it was, a, it was a great great career, great opportunity for me, and I had lots of fun and met some great, great people there, players, coaches, and uh, front office people too. Not to mention the fans. The fans were wonderful. Yeah, no, no question about it. Uh, great days at Morgan State. We'll talk about those. How, how are you? How are you? Your family and all doing in during COVID? Thank you for asking. Uh, so far, we're we're holding our own. We're all well. Um, and uh, the old the older folks in the family, like me, most of us have been vaccinated. Thank thank God. Um, you know, so we're doing well. We're blessed. And uh, how are you and your family? I appreciate you asking. We're doing we're doing well. You know, going through the vaccination process. Uh, as well and we'll see we got two younger ones we'll see how that goes in terms of the vaccination for the children Um, so we'll see how that goes 
Uh, so well, stay, yeah. stay, yeah, stay well, man. Good. I appreciate it. What's your golf game looking like these days? <laughs> Not playing much. A whole lot of golf. Uh, you know, started out, you know, uh, when the pandemic started out, man, that put a cramp on everything. Uh, and then as things loosen up, or well, we begin to know more about this, uh, this epidemic, we, you know, realized that you could play golf and socially distance, uh, you know, properly anyhow. So I only played a few rounds of golf, but I have been fishing. That's my, probably fishing is my number one, uh, hobby. Now, uh, golf is, is slipped back to number two. Okay. Uh, okay. No, no, under, understood. Definitely understood. So, you know, we, we got, we got really a lot to get to, uh, on the program today. I mean, I think the first thing I, w- I want to start out with, what do you, you played for Earl Banks at Morgan State. And see, the, one of the things that people, we think Morgan State has fallen on some hard times. There's no doubt about it when it comes to football. So a lot of times when you think about great teams or great programs of all time, you think about the Gramblings of the world, Tuskegee's and all that, but we forget that Morgan is in that conversation. It's one of the great programs of all time. So for you, a couple of undefeated seasons there in Morgan, what do you remember most about your days at Morgan State and playing for the legendary Earl Banks? Uh, Earl Banks is is what I remember most about about Morgan State. I mean, certainly Morgan was a, was a a really great academic school, and and uh, I had some great instructors in all in all the phases of my education there, as well as you know uh, you know to other teachers and counselors and whatever. It was a great school, great environment, great family. So um, you know, kudos to Morgan. But what do I remember most? Earl Banks. In the football program, uh, I mean, probably next to my father, who I, you know, my, I had the best dad in the world, to tell you the truth. Um, uh, just the best man I've ever, I've ever known in my life, my father. But next to my dad, probably the, the person who has had, you know, uh, as much an impact on me as anybody else in my life, male-wise, uh, is Coach Banks. And then, you know, follow right along with, you know, with Coach Taylor and, and uh, Coach Wilson and, and uh, you know, some of the other coaches that were there, man. It, well, what an experience. And it was a family experience. And, and um, you know, the impact that the guy like Coach Banks had on not just my athletic ability, playing ability, but the academic part of it, you know, the, uh, the social part of it, the, the development, you know, uh, part of it, uh, the character building, um, you know, the coaches did it all back then, you know, and, and especially in a small university like Morgan, um, I, I can't even begin to express, you know, the appreciation that I have for Coach Banks. And it's not just me, you know, I've, I've been in recent contact with 20 or 30, uh, guys who came through the Morgan football program and, and we we decided to get together and uh, um, re, you know reconnect uh, you know to kind of you know relive our uh, our, our history uh, revitalize our history tell our stories and more importantly to try to see what we can do collectively to promote enhance and and rebuild the Morgan the football program at Morgan yeah, no, it, it's a, it's a, you're you're right. I mean, I'm I'm a Morgan grad. You know, I was there during the hard times, the late '90s, 
uh, and so forth. I think I, I think Tyrone Wheatley is going to do uh, a, a good job, but it has been some some hard times uh, at Morgan State, no question about it. We are joined by Raymond Chester here on from the press box to press row. What did it mean to you to be the a first round draft pick out of Morgan State for the Oakland Raiders back in 1970? Well, it was a dream come true for me. Matter of fact, I never even dreamed of, you know, being a first-round draft choice. And, you know, I certainly thought that I had a talent that, w- that would uh, afford me an opportunity to, you know, to go to a team and try to make a team. But to be a first-round draft choice, oh, my gosh, it was uh, it, it was, it was uh, so real, you know. It just, wow. Just, uh, and, uh, you know, so not just what, what did it mean to me, but what did it mean to historical black colleges and, and you know, and, and divisional, you know, football, the CIAA and, and the SWAC, whatever, what did it mean? I mean, it just really brightened, opened the eyes of the, of the, uh, of the league uh, to, you know, to the talent, tremendous talent that was, you know, to be had, you know, coming out of the historical black colleges and, and small universities. And I think it just inspired coaches and players and, and even, you know, administrators in the, uh, in small black colleges and that kind of thing like that as to what they could uh, achieve in terms of uh, professional sports. Yeah, and of course you went on to have an outstanding rookie season. You were named uh, the rookie of the year. But then a couple of years later, you were traded to to your hometown team, the Baltimore Colts. But you weren't necessarily thrilled with that, correct? Oh, no, not at all. My heart was broken. Are you kidding? I, I uh, you know, you know, it's kind of like being, you know, you know, uh, being born into a family and growing up, you know, with your siblings. You know, I mean, I mean, let's face it. I mean, I, when you know, when I went to Oakland, man, I was surrounded by guys like like Willie Brown, Gene Upshaw, Art Shell, uh, Jack Tatum, Cliff Branch, um, you know, um, Ken Stabler. Uh, uh, you know, Giamato, Daryl LaMonica. I mean, I mean, what a family, man. It's like, it's like, um, if you were to equate it to a, a, you know, an orphan being adopted or, you know, or, or, or a kid, you know, going into a foster home, man, I was like, I wound up, you know, in the lap of, 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 uh, just brilliance, you know, just the guys were just tremendous football players. Um, coached by some very good coaches. And, uh, you know, it was an opportunity for me to learn and grow and, and to become a part of that family, and I did. Um, and so when I, when I was traded to Baltimore, it wasn't that I had any particular grudge against Baltimore. I certainly grew up as a Colt fan, and I continue to be a Colt fan today. I, you know, the Colts are one of my favorite teams to watch. But it was like I had been – um, stolen away from my family. It's like someone, you know, someone having to be, tor- you know, being torn away from their family and their siblings and whatever and, and going off to another, you know, another land. So uh, certainly had, you know, it had nothing to do with me not liking the cold. So, you know, I said, grew, grew up as a cold fan, but boy, it had everything to do with me being torn away from the guys that I was weaned with, you know. Yeah. Then ultimately, you go back to Oakland, win a Super Bowl. I think even more so, and I think that's not 
we're not talking about this enough in terms of you being in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. You're well into your 30s, first team All-Pro in 1979. Again, win a Super Bowl. Also for your career, 364 receptions, 5,013 yards, 48 touchdowns, considered one of the great tight ends to ever play the game, more specifically at that time. Why isn't Raymond Chester in the Pro Football Hall of Fame? I I don't know. I don't know, Donald. Uh, I think the thing, one of the things is that really um, I'm most, I'm proud of is that um, if you look at those numbers and whatever, Donald, I average, I average 14 yards a catch. And, and, um, you know, I think I, I think in my career, I think I missed uh, maybe three games in my career um, and certainly started you know, ninety percent of that career, I was a starter. So uh, that's what I'm most proud of. But and as well as the people I played against, I think it's just a matter of of um, you know trying to compare um, you know peaches with you know with 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 plums. I mean, they're both they're both uh, stone fruit, right? And people are saying, okay, stone fruit. If you're if you're going to be a stone fruit, then you have to, you should be compared with a nice, a nice, uh, juicy peach. Um, but you know, I mean, they're delicious and, and, you know, stone fruit that happen to be plums or, 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 you know, others. I just think the way they, they compare it, they compare it is, um, it's certainly skewed. It, you know, it's, it's, uh, certainly, it's, the, the the people who played in those eras should have a lot more to say about it with respect to who they regarded as the top players and whatever. I think it should have a whole lot to do with how the, the person was re, was regarded by their teammates and, and their competitors. Um, the character, the character of the guy, what the guy did, you know, um, after football whatever we're talking the hall of fame now we're talking the thing that you know you hold this 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 shiny you know shiny object up and say behold you know this is you know this is one of our finest representatives of our league you know of of our sport you know of of his his college and of the game so uh, a lot of things should go into that and um i think there certainly are a lot of guys that are that are being overlooked um and and the other part of it is, is when you think about, you know, all the guys who played even before me, you know, that, that are Hall of Fame kind of guys, uh, you know, that, that are that are being pushed further and further and further and further back, their opportunity to get in the Hall of Fame to, you know, to the point where a lot, you know, some guys are going to Hall of Fame posthumously, you know, my friend Ken Staver, you know, for instance. Um, you know, I don't like, I don't think that's right. You know, I don't, you know, I know the guys that go in first ballot, this and that and whatever, but I mean, you know, it's, there's a lot of things that I, concerns I have about the hall of fame. Um, although I respect and admire the guys that are in it and, uh, um, I certainly, uh, give them their, their, their proper credit. Yeah. You know, we're, we're out of time. We've got to come back and do this. We've got to, I know there was a campaign put together for you about seven, eight years ago or so to try to get you in need to, because there's no question about it. Everything that you've been able to do deserves pro football hall of fame recognition. And we want to see if we can, uh, you know, try to get that back 
rocking and rolling once again. Raymond Chester joining us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Mr. Chester, appreciate the time. Definitely, we'll talk with you real soon. Don, thank you, and keep doing what you're doing, man. I, enjoy, I admire your show. Thank you. So Raymond Chester joining us on the program, he had a lot to say. I'll say this as we wrap up this segment. The reason that I, I never saw Raymond Chester play, okay, not really. I don't recall. I mean, he was, you know, I was, I was really young by the time, you know, he was in the latter part of his career. But two reasons that uh, strike me as for him being in the Hall of Fame. Number one, uh, if you've listened to this program for any number of years, you know that on Father's Day I have my father come on the program. He played at Howard. As a matter of fact, I'm sure he would have played against Raymond Chester at Howard. They were in the same year, same draft class. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, of course, my father ultimately signed as a free agent with the then Washington Redskins, actually signed, was signed by Vince Lombardi. That's one reason. My, my father says he should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. The other reason is the article mentioned that Raymond Chester was Rob Gronkowski before Gronk. That's all you need to know. I mean, that's all you need to know. Never saw him play. But this is the other thing. So um, uh, for me, I never saw him play. But uh, almost a couple of years ago now, almost two years ago, USA Today asked me to rank the top 100 NFL players that played at HBCUs. The way that I did the rankings, if you were a Pro Football Hall of Famer, you automatically were in that one through like thirty-one slot. The only, the only, uh, the only thing I did was I had Donnie Shell ahead of one of the Hall of Famers because I felt like Donnie Shell was a surefire Hall of Famer that I had a chance. Uh, I remember when he played. I went Elsie Greenwood thirty-two. Lamar Parrish, 33, Ed Tutal Jones, 34, Ben Coates, 35. I saw Ben Coates play. Ken Riley, 36, Everson Walls, 37. I had Raymond Chester at number 38 ahead of Steve McNair, which I caught a lot of flack for uh, at 39, Otis Taylor, 40. I had Winston Hill, 41. Winston Hill, who played at Texas Southern, was just inducted uh, into the well he was I don't know if they actually did the induction ceremony but he's supposed to be part of the 2020 class of the Pro Football Hall of Fame uh, from everything I've read heard seen uh, tapes old footage Raymond Chester definitely should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame your thoughts is Raymond Chester in your mind those that saw him play a Pro Football Hall of Famer hit us up via Twitter at box to row b-o-x-t-o-r-o-w up next here on the program, going to talk with Southern head football coach Dawson Odoms. Delaware on ESPNU Radio, right here on Sirius XM. What up, what up? Yo, 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 yo. As you know, big time football game on Saturday is the Southern Jaguars going to travel to Jackson, Mississippi to take on Jackson State. The game is going to be on ESPN in his ninth season as the head football coach at Jackson State is Dawson Odoms. The Jaguars 3-1 and one on the season, ranked number five in the HBCU football polls in both the coaches and the media polls right now. Dawson Odoms joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Coach Odoms, welcome back to the program. Oh, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I always look forward to speaking with you guys. Absolutely. It's always good. seems like we do this every year because you guys just win every year and you're off to a nice start, 3-1 and one on the season. Your thoughts 
on the season so far in this 2021 spring football season? Well, I tell you, I thought we played uh, very average in the beginning, just trying to get our legs on us, just trying to get a mental right for starting the spring season, just coming off of a really short preseason. Guys wasn't really where they needed to be conditioning. But everybody knows that when you play us, we get better as the year goes along. I think we have one of the better in-season programs for how we do things and just gauging where our guys are and, and sort of changing that and implementing new things to get us where we need to be so we can make a run down the down the stretch. So I think our football team is where it needs to be, mentally, physically, and conditionally, and hopefully we play well this Saturday. Yeah, I mean, you, you eke one out. I mean, as you you know, I mean, you know Coach Broadway well. Uh, Coach Broadway used to always say all wins are good wins. February 26th against Alabama State on the road was a good win. Your thoughts, been able to eke that game out to open the season? It tells a lot about our players and coaches and just understanding that that you're on the road, didn't have a whole lot of fans there, just didn't have anything for you to – to sort of to create the momentum that you need to be successful. And then finally, it kicked in in the third quarter. Our guys just found something deep from the inside and just willed themselves to a victory against a very good uh, athletic and tough uh, football team on Alabama State. So it was a, it was great to come out of there with a win. And then we came back home for our home opener. Yeah, and it didn't go well, didn't go like you planned. I mean, you you made a you know you made a game of it and it actually had an opportunity you had an opportunity there even even late even though Arkansas Pine Bluff uh, got out to the big lead what went wrong in that football game? Uh, the second quarter uh, we didn't play very well in the second quarter we did not we turned the ball over we didn't get stops defensively uh, it's just one of those things to where you were playing at home but you didn't have that emotion of a true home crowd. You know, I thought we had everything that we needed to be in place to be successful, and but we just didn't play well in the second quarter, and that cost us a football game. And uh, went into the bye week and uh, sort of got things worked out. Dawson Odoms in his ninth season as the head football coach at Southern joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row big-time football game on Saturday at Jackson State. The game is going to be on ESPN uh, you know, when we had you on the uh, the HBCU Football Daily Podcast in, in February, I, I know, you know, you hadn't made a decision in terms of who your quarterback was going to be. Ultimately, it was and is uh, Ladarius Skelton. I want to get your, you know, I, I want to get your thoughts. I mean, how do you feel like he's playing so far this year? Well, I thought he played well against Alabama State. Didn't play uh, bad against UAPB. Just didn't keep his composure like we expect him to. And we, I made a coaching decision to to put him on the uh, to bench him, and he came back in Texas Southern and played really, really well. And now we've had a bye week. Um, he's he's just got to stay on him just mentally and just let him know this is how we expect him to play quarterback. And he's rose to the occasion since that lapse in UAPB. I'm looking forward to this contest because I think it's going to be two very electrifying quarterbacks on the field, and whichever defense can corral them. Is going to have the upper hand. Yeah, no question about it. Um, you know, Devin Benny hasn't. You know, I, I just want to get your thoughts. Like he, at least from a numbers perspective, he hasn't really gotten it going so far this year. Uh, we got some other backs. Uh, you got to maximize your your carries. He's had some fumbles and costly plays that we 
don't think you should make as a senior. And then condition, just making sure you're in the best condition and got yourself uh, in shape to be the best football player that you can be. Uh, we have football players. We have guys that are waiting on you to slip if they're behind you because the pressure is always on. They're a very competitive group. And we got we got backs. Uh, we, got, we got several guys can tote the mail. They're just waiting on their opportunities. And when they get it, they don't relinquish it. Yeah, no question about it. Talk about Jordan Lewis. I mean, a little bit earlier, I, I mentioned his numbers to our listeners. I mean, if you look at a guy that has nine and a half tackles for loss and six and a half sacks, and he's played an 11-game season, you would say that's pretty solid, right? I mean, he's played three games and has that. Your thought in, in the impact that he has had on your football team? You got to count for him, and I think they're going to count for him, and uh, hopefully they got to keep somebody in to, <laughs> to block him. I hope he can get to their quarterback, and if he can, we're going to be successful. Our bookends are what make us great. Uh, Jordan Lewis has an unbelievable first step. Uh, you don't know how fast he is until you play against him. And uh, if you haven't seen him, uh, I wish you the best. Uh, he's just advertised. Uh, he played the game the right way. He enjoyed playing it, and he, he can go. And I'm glad he's on our football team. Dawson Odoms, the head football coach at Southern, joins us here on the program. Speak. I, I know one of the strengths you talked about with us is that offensive line. And uh, speak to that unit, how it's playing and how well it's going to need to play against Jackson State on Saturday? I think it's going to be one in the trenches. I think our D-line's going to have to play dominant, and I think our O-line's going to have to play dominant. If those two groups play the way they're capable of playing, uh, I think this is going to be a very good football game. And I'm quite sure they're challenging their O-line and D-line. Their linebackers are really the strength of their defense, and our O-line will have to find a way to get to the second level, tie them up, and, and if they can, we'll be able to get some, some creases in the running game. But uh, it's going to be a good one, but I think our offensive line is as advertised, and I think they're one of the best in the conference. What, in your mind, and from what you've seen on film and what you've seen of Jackson State, what do the Tigers do well? Dual threat quarterback. He can throw it. They got receivers that can go get it. Uh, big receivers, six three, go about two ten, and that's that's going to be the challenge on the outside. Can our cornerback step up and play? And I, I think they will. I think they'll accept the challenge and. And they know they're gonna have to play, and they got to play very well. And and then it's just running the football. They got a very good running back and stopping the run. And and I, I really think this game will come down to to just walking and tackling, running the football, and special teams. I think that's gonna be the hidden hidden factor in uh, which special teams can play extremely well. Dawson Odoms, ninth season head football coach at Southern, joins us here on from the press box to press row, big time game Jaguars and the Tigers Saturday on ESPN in Jackson, Mississippi. Coach Odoms, as always, appreciate the time. Good luck to you and the Jaguars. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Go Jags. Promises to be an outstanding football game and will be on ESPN. I'll have my thoughts on the game and give you a prediction. But up next, we're going to talk some track and field, and we're going to talk with North Carolina A&T Director of Track and Field Programs, Dwayne Ross, on the Aggies' record-setting performance. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row, and you've got it locked in on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. Now, back to From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. Let's continue here on From the Press Box to Press Row, the North Carolina A&T Track 
and field program, both the men and the women, indoor and outdoor, is getting it done. No question about it. National headlines all over the place. And in his ninth season as the director of track and field programs at North Carolina A&T is Dwayne Ross. He's a former All-American, ran track at Clemson, uh, he's getting it done, no question about it, as A&T, the men and women, both ranked nationally. Dwayne Ross joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Coach Ross, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. It's great to have you. And the latest headlines, the women ranked number eight in the nation. That's just the latest headlines in the last, you know, four or five days or so. You've had so many just in the last four or five days. Your thoughts on your women being ranked number eight in all of Division One. Well, hey, I, I, you know, my thoughts, we can do better. You know, I, I, I'm happy uh, that they started off the season so well, uh, but we had a conversation about this in practice the other day. Uh, they're better than that. I mean, we, we have a, a very, very good women's team. Uh, we just had a situation where the men have been so good that they've kind of, you know, taken all the spotlight. But as I told the ladies the other day, hey, it's it's time for you guys to rise to the occasion because you can do the exact same thing. So that number eight, it's it's okay, you know, top ten. You know, we don't get caught up with rankings a whole lot. But, uh, you know, this year going forward, I think you're going to hear a lot more from our women. Yeah, I mean, we've heard a lot from your women uh, in the past, and we'll talk more uh, about that. Matter of fact, a couple of years ago, we had Kyla White uh, on the program after all of what she was able to do uh, ultimately as the NCAA Division One Indoor Female Athlete of the Year. Again, going back some couple of years ago. Men had a very, I mean, your women had a very successful weekend, but your men uh, had a record-breaking weekend. And more specifically, the 4x400-meter relay team ran the world's fastest time at 3 minutes and 23 hundredths of a second, Elijah Young, uh, Daniel Stokes, Trevor Stewart, and some guy named Randolph Ross Jr., who we'll talk about a little <laughs> bit more. Uh, but but your thoughts? I mean, like I know, like I know you just said, you know, sixteenth is, I mean, eighth for the women. Uh, you can do better. It's hard to do better though than three minutes and twenty three hundredths of a second for that four by four hundred team. Yes, and and yet we will, <laughs> and, and and yet we will. <laughs> That group is that that group is talented. Uh, this was their first relay. I mean, it's we. I mean, we saw so many mistakes in that race that we can improve on. Handoffs weren't weren't that great. I mean, they've been you know right after NCAA's indoors, we went right back to training. So there's so so much more potential there to run faster. Uh, I, you know what? I, I really believe that this team is going to break the collegiate record this year. And that'll raise your because right now the men are number sixteen. So that'll raise. Your uh, your national ranking there. I'm sure if some guys can do uh, more individually, where I mean, where do you see this team? Oh, yeah. realistically, number sixteen now. But where do you see this team realistically uh, as the season progresses, or when the final horn sounds, if you will? I see us as a top three team, a top three team, and, and you're correct. Uh, those rankings are based on uh, the the events that have been run up to this point. Uh, and, and we really haven't run any. We've, we've run on the men's side. We've run the 4x4. The four four. We've run a couple of guys in the 200. Uh, but those guys that have just come from NCAA championships, uh, they haven't run the 400. They haven't run the 200. Uh, you know, we've opened up in the hurdles and whatnot. So there's, there's so much room left. And the 400 hurdles, you know, we have those guys that didn't have a chance to run indoors. These are NCAA championship guys that are going to be opening up 
uh, here soon. So, I mean, so there's so much more room for us to improve and get better. So I, I see us as a top three team. Uh, there's some teams out there that are going to be, uh, you know, tough, uh, you know, tough to beat. But, hey, we're going to meet them head-to-head nonetheless. You know, that's, that's what track and field is about, head-to-head competition. Dwayne Ross has led the North Carolina A&T programs to 16 MEAC titles in track and field and cross countries in his ninth season as the director of track and field programs at North Carolina A&T joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Your thoughts on this 4 by 400 winning the national championship in the indoor? <laughs> hey, we, uh, there was no doubt in our mind that we were going to win that, that championship. There, there was no doubt in my mind. And I could look at you know, the, the faces on my guys, and I knew there was no way they were, they were giving that up. I mean, we had a good meet, but I can tell you, since I've been here at a like you said, nine years, we finish every MEAC championship with the 4x4. We have not lost a 4x4 uh, conference championship in, geez, eight, seven, eight years, I believe. I mean, it doesn't matter what the score is. We could be winning by 50 points. We're running a 4x4. We always end the competition you know, with the four by four and trying to win that. Uh, and those guys take that, they take it seriously. That's, that's their event. So there was no doubt in my mind. I was probably at the NCAA championships. I was probably, probably the calmest guy in the building as I was sitting there watching it. I mean, just a great, great group of kids that just want to get better every time they step on the track. I mean, that makes my job so much easier. I mean, it's not, you, you know, you were a world class athlete. No, no doubt in track and field, going back in, in your days at Clemson. I'm always fascinated. Like, I've talked with, you know, we talked with George Williams. We had the late Ed Temple on the show. You know, when you talk football, when you talk about basketball, uh, you know, even baseball, there's, you know, there's strategy. There's different things that uh, you can you can do and make corrections and, and so forth. But I'm, I'm fascinated. How do you get you're, – you're getting great athletes. There's no doubt about it. But how are you able to tr- uh, train and prepare your athletes to be the absolute best competing against other uh, other uh, student athletes that are in the same mind frame? I mean, that, it, that's fascinating to me when you talk about track and field. Yeah, it's all, it's all about that concept of belief. Uh, as, as cliche as it may sound, uh, we base the foundation of our program not just on what we do on the track and what we do in the, in the weight room and uh, and things like that, but, uh, you know, our belief system. Right? And our kids hear this ten times a day. If you don't believe you can do it, then you shouldn't be doing it. I mean, it, it really comes down to that. You have to make a decision on who you are when you step out here, especially with this team. This is the, this is the foundation that we've built. If you're on this team, then you believe that you belong on that pedestal that, that has number one on it, right? And that's what every one of them come out there. They, co- they come out there and they train – to be at that top spot, and it just makes everyone else so much better. But, yeah, it, it, it starts with that, and not just with track and field. I mean, we talk about all kinds of things with our team. When we talk about, you know, the, um, the industry that they're going to go into after they graduate, we talk about real-life events, the elections, politicians, I mean, all of this. I mean, this, this, we really have a great program here where we're just trying to, you know, instill in us student-athletes you know, how to be well-rounded and be knowledgeable in everything that they take an interest in. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's track and field. That's the beauty of this sport is man against man. It's not 11 guys on the team, and you can have a strategy and a play. It's, it's basically a situation where you have to be mentally strong enough to get on the line and compete 
with the seven other athletes that are the best in the country, too. I think, I think my staff and I, we do a good job of preparing them for that. Dwayne Ross, again, ninth season as the director of track and field programs at North Carolina A&T, joins us here on the program. You've had many great athletes. You've had many great teams. The one that stands out to me, and I'm sure there may be some others prior to, but uh, again, when you're talking about uh, uh, Kayla White, again, the female athlete of the year, going back some couple of years ago, Division I uh, indoor female athlete of the year. Uh, talk about her and, you know, sort of what she's meant, her legacy in the A&T program. Oh, you see it every day. You see it every day out there. Uh, and and uh, Kayla still trains her, uh, so we're getting ready for the Olympic trials this year. Uh, I mean, and she's in the best shape of her life. Uh, but, yes, just to see her change over the years has just been miraculous. And keeping her around these student-athletes does nothing but encourage them you know, to, to want to do the same things that she's doing. Uh, I mean, just so talented uh, and whatnot. And it doesn't, I mean, she's come in and, and Kate and I, we are uh, like every athlete and coach, you know, you go head to head sometimes and whatnot. But she understood that, hey, what we were doing, right, was out of love and everything we were doing was to make her better, right? And to see her grasp that and try to instill that in our other student athletes, seeing her encourage them and lead them along, even on the tough days. I mean, it means as a coach, it shows me a lot. It shows me that, hey, this young lady has grown from more than just a student athlete and an athlete. She's a person, a person that's compassionate now in helping other athletes achieve their goals. So I can't say enough about her. Not only did she help put this program where it is, well, now she's continuing to do that by encouraging these young ladies, being, exa- being an example when she's on the track, whatnot i mean just a, a great young lady a couple of last thoughts you know i think about the likes of george williams and i think about uh, leroy walker and i think about ed temple and those were great tracking uh, were and are great track and field coaches uh at at respective hbcus and i mean i i know i may i know you may not look at it uh this way but you're really building something like uh, we, track and field doesn't get the shine like the football when it comes to HBCUs, like the basketball, uh, et cetera. But w- what what comes to your mind as you're building, you know, this program here at A&T and, you know, maybe trying to to get to the likes of what a George Williams, a Leroy Walker, and a, and a Temple have built at their respective programs? Oh, yeah. Well, any one of my student-athletes will tell you Right now, if you ask them that question, they'll tell you this is bigger than track and field. I mean, we're, we're passionate about what we do in track and field, and our kids are passionate about it. But we understand, uh, you know, the legacy that George Williams, uh, you know, Coach Roy Thompson, who was at A&T before me, um, I mean, Mr. Temple, Coach Temple, I mean, we understand that legacy and, and where we are. And we understand that this is bigger than track and field. It's about our culture. It's about our, you know, our young black men and women, uh, you know, getting better, putting themselves in better positions in life, whatnot. It's, it's bigger than track and field, you know, and, and I think that perspective is one of the reasons we're able to go out there and compete the way we do. We don't, we, we don't put, we don't put all of our money on winning a race, you know. I mean, it's it's serious, but it's not that serious. We understand that what we're doing has a bigger cause behind it a bigger legacy behind it, and, and eventually someone else will come behind me, uh, you know, and, and, and will do it bigger and better, and hopefully they'll say my name in the future and say, hey, 
along with those guys you just mentioned and say, hey, you know, we're continuing on with that legacy. So that, those are the things that are important for us, man, seeing, seeing the real change happen, not just in our sport, but in, in life and in society. Lastly, and I got about 30 seconds real quick, how is it coaching that guy Randolph Ross Jr., who, of course, is your son? Yeah, of course he is. It's, it's a blessing. You know, my daughter is here, too. Uh, she's a freshman on the team, Jonah Ross. So uh, I, I, I told a coach the other day, man, that, you know, I, I, you know, sometimes I don't – I feel like I don't deserve to be this blessed, to be able to coach my own children, see them grow into young men and women. Uh, I mean, it's wonderful. I get to see them every day do what they love to do while I'm doing what I love to do. I mean, they, they are great children. I am blessed to have them and blessed to be able to see them grow like this every day. Dwayne Ross again, ninth season as the director of track and field programs at North Carolina A&T. Has won 16 MEAC titles. And I'll tell you what, building a legacy there at North Carolina A&T. Joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Coach Ross, appreciate the time. And we look forward to seeing your continued success. Absolutely. Hey, thank you for having us and thanks for all the support. You've got it, Coach Ross. Dwayne Ross of North Carolina A&T. Track and field Head coach joining us on the program. Got to get ready to run. I told you I'd give you a prediction. I have Southern over Jackson State in a semi-high-scoring game. I've got Jackson or Southern by six or seven points in the game. I got into detail about my thoughts, and you can check them out on our website, BoxToRow.com, on the HBCU Football Daily Podcast as we pregame. Thank you to Dawson Odoms. Thank you to Raymond Chester. Thank you to Dwayne Ross for joining us today on the program. And always remember to support those that support you. From the Press Box to Press Row is presented by DW Communications. Time for this show to drop the lid. That'll do it for this week's From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware. Join us again next week for an in-depth look at historically black college athletics and the biggest news stories of the day. 